so many times we grab somebody, we pray a little prayer with them, and then we're so quick to throw them in the tank and baptize them and call them a Christian, and nothing's changed in their life. They uttered some words. Maybe they were well-meaning. Maybe they weren't. We don't know. See, we have to see that, that radical transformation takes place. And you say, well, doesn't that happen over time? I don't know. Show me in the scriptures where it happens over time. Usually it's immediate. Usually that radical change, when Christ comes into the heart of someone, when Christ comes into the life of someone, there's a radical change. From Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse, who will take us to Romans chapter 8, series simply called Blessed Assurance. Well, what is assurance, and how can we know that we are assured and saved in Christ for all eternity? Questions we're answering today. Join us. Here's Pastor Steve with today's program. And turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to kind of just introduce this next little part of Scripture. We're starting a little mini-series called Blessed Assurance. A wonderful song by Fanny Crosby. But assurance of salvation, uh, before we read our text this morning, I just want to share assurance of salvation is a problem really in two opposite directions or two opposite ways. And what I mean by that is, is some think they are saved when in reality they are not. <laughs> and when it's too late to repent, unfortunately, they will hear those haunting words from our Lord of Matthew 7, verse 23, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's every pastor's nightmare to think that there are people under your care that one day will stand before the Lord and they will hear those words. They thought they had saving faith, but they were mistaken. So they had assurance, but it was false assurance. On the other side of the issue of assurance is the ones who are truly saved. But they wrestle with doubts. They wrestle with questions about their own salvation. Uh, A lot of times their uncertainty causes them a lot of anxiety, a lot of grief. They can be compared to insecure children who live in a what we might call an unloving home with maybe a mean father who threatens to disown them constantly. And they miss out on the, the uh, joy of experiencing a heavenly father's love. They're unable to come to God with full assurance that he will welcome them into his loving arms. That's exactly what they need. They need true assurance. Romans 8, as you read through Romans 8, that's what this chapter is all about. It's about having that assurance in your salvation. And we're just going to spend about 30 minutes here just introducing this subject. But I said at the very beginning when we started through Romans 8, that it starts, this chapter starts with no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And it ends with no condemnation for those that are in Christ. All the way at the end, the last concluding 
verses. He asks the question, who is it that condemns? See, the one thing we have to understand, beloved, if we're walking in the flesh, if we're walking in the flesh, but think that you are saved, this chapter, I pray, will jar, shake you into examining your own heart. Because the Bible says only those who walk according to the Spirit can have true assurance that they belong to Christ. One ministry of the Holy Spirit is to assure us that we are his children. That's one ministry that the Holy Spirit has. It's a very important ministry. In the New Testament, assurance rests on basically three pillars. And these aren't in your notes, but I think they're in the the slide presentation. First, you have to abandon all trust in your own good works so that you're trusting in Christ alone for a right standing before God. Are you, did you throw away all your own good works and are you trusting in Christ and in Christ alone to secure that right standing before God? If you answer yes to that question, then the question arises, how do you know that your faith is genuine saving faith? Well, that leads to the second pillar of assurance. If your faith is genuine, then you will possess new life in Christ and that that new life always listen to me, always manifests itself in changed thinking and behavior. In other words, there will be evidence in your life that God has changed your heart. There will be evidence in your life that there's been a transformation of you personally. You will love God. You will desire to love him more. You will want to please him by living a life of obedience in accordance with his word. You'll have a hunger, a desire to feed on his word. You'll notice that you're growing in godly character. And that will result in changed behavior. And that behavior will be the fruit of the spirit that God carries out in your life. So you'll see a change. The third pillar is this. of Assurance is that inner witness of the Holy Spirit. And this is what our text speaks to today. That inner witness of the Holy Spirit who testifies that we are children of God. This isn't some experiential deal that we're talking about. We're talking about a very subjective, factual thing. When you come to Jesus Christ, the Word of God says that He imparts in you, He fills you, He baptizes you into Christ by the Holy Spirit. And He deposits that very Holy Spirit in your life. And now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not some experiential thing that goes on. It's a very factual thing that happens the moment you trust in Christ. Um, One of the things that Romans 8 speaks to as we've been working our way through this is that basically Paul is not teaching anything new here. Remember, He's not going anything over anything new that we haven't already been through. Rather, he's seeking to reinforce what he's already taught us in the scriptures. The general theme is assurance of salvation. But that doctrine was laid out for us all the way back in chapter 5. And remember, when we talked about chapter 6 and 7, they were kind of like an explanation of what he said in chapter 5 kind of like a little side trail. And so now he's coming back to the main full subject where he left off earlier in chapter 5. 
And we find something new, though, when we come to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Look at what it says, and we'll read the, the text, and you can follow along in your Bibles. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of Adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That verse there tells us that those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God or children of God. You know, this is the first time that this kind of understanding pops up here in Romans. The idea that we are sons of God. It's not incidental. It's something that that the Spirit would have us to understand at this point in time. Paul is talking about assurance of salvation, right? Right? He's arguing that one of the the basis is for our new relationship to God, which is a family relationship, we're the body of Christ. And he introduces this, this text, this theme in our text, upon which he begins to speak of us as sons or sonship or children or heirs. Some of the words even appear later in verses 19, 21, and 23. And verse 14 starts off with that little phrase that links it to previous thought for all who are led you know verse 14 is introduced as proof of what has gone immediately before calvin said this he said the substance amounts to this that all those who are led by the spirit of god are the sons of god All the sons of God are heirs of eternal life. And therefore, all who are led by the Spirit of God ought to feel assured of their eternal life. Let me ask you this morning, are you assured of your eternal life? It's meant to be both a test of spiritual life and a comfort for those who are in Christ. As we begin this little series here we're just going to get through maybe one or two of these first points but you have to remember we just came out of a of a a message last week saying you know what you either need to kill sin or it will be killing you and that's what the previous verses told us and so this kind of concludes the thought that if the spirit is leading us to kill our sin because we can't do it in the flesh we need the power of the spirit to do it as we talked about last week And if he's doing that, that process is going on in our lives, and he's confirming to us the promises of the gospel, then we should have the assurance that we truly are children of God. Not based on who we are, but based upon the promises and principles that we find in the word of God. Well, there's five very important kind of truths here in these next couple verses. And I just want to start today with looking at the first one. And the first one is kind of a negative one, you might say. And the first point is this, not everyone is a member of God's family. Not everyone is a member of God's family. This is important for us to understand because in our idea in Western thought, it's a lot of 
liberalism, liberal thinking going on, which says, well, all human beings are sons and daughters of God. And therefore, we're all members of God's family. Have you ever heard that? Hear it all the time. But that's not true. That's not what the Bible says. Well, the popular way of of putting this has been the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. And with that being said, there is a sense, of course, that all human beings are brothers and sisters. We've all been created by one God. So in that sense, that's true. But that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about spiritually. And see, the way the Apostle Paul spoke in Athens in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, when he was dealing with uh, the different philosophers of the day, and he quoted the, the Greek poets, and he said, we are all his, that is God's offspring. But that is not what is meant here when he says the sons of God. And it's certainly not what the Apostle Paul was speaking of here in Romans. When Paul writes here, those who are led by the Spirit of God, he is making a mark in the sand, a line in the sand. And he's distinguishing between those who are led by the Spirit and those who are led by what? The flesh. Or not led by the Spirit. So if he's making that mark there and he's he's pointing this out that those who are led by the spirit are sons of God then there must be a segment of society that is not led by the spirit and therefore they're not sons of God they're not God's spiritual children look over at John chapter 8 verse 31 with me because we see this very clearly from our own Lord's mouth himself John chapter 8 verse 31 now here Jesus had been teaching the people And um, he made kind of a similar statement to what the Apostle Paul was saying here in Romans. He says in verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered Jesus in verse 33, and they said, We are of the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. You see them speaking out in their pride, right? How is it that you say you will become free? They're saying, We're not, we're not held captive by anybody. Jesus answered them. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then he clarifies. He says, I know that you're the offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father. And you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered almost in protest, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would not be doing the, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. So they just kind of brought up his whole deal with Mary and Joseph and kind of threw some mud on our Lord there. 
It says, we have one Father, even God. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot hear? Bear to hear my word? Verse 44, Jesus draws the line in the sand. He says, you are of your father who? The devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him when he speaks Lies. He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is born of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is what? You are not of God. Very clear teaching. That our Lord laid down. He's saying not everyone is a member of God's family. Some have a different father. Usually because you're tied to a family through your father. Keep your father's name. He's pointing out to them that you know what? Your father's the devil. Because you don't hear the truth. And follow the truth. Or listen to the truth. I mean you can't say it any clearer than that. So don't buy into the liberal thinking that, well, we're all members of God's family and maybe we all just use different roads to get there. That's a lie that will take you to hell every time. The last time I checked, Jesus says, I am the way, what? The truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. There's no back door. There's no side door. There's no trap door. You don't need to pray that God would reveal a new way. For your spiritual pilgrimage, he's already revealed the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't come through him, you will not come to God. You will not secure for yourself eternal salvation. And when you meet God one day and you say, Lord, Lord, he'll say, what? I don't even know who you are. Because you didn't come to me in the prescribed manner that was revealed to you through my word. So not everyone is a member of God's family. And this is important to understand because next week we're going to talk a little bit about adoption and what that whole process looks like when it comes to us being adopted into God's family. But the second point here, the second spiritual truth that is important, number one, not everyone is a member of God's family, but number two, all Christians are members of God's family. All Christians are members of God's family. Well, what does this involve? Coming to Christ always involves a radical change first of all it involves a radical change to become a child of god means that an individual has experienced the most radical and profound change possible it's not that they changed themselves that change was put on them i mean when you stop and think about it before a person becomes a son or a daughter of god he or she is not a member of god's family at all but as a member of the devil's family, because there's only two families. Either you're in God's family or you're in Satan's family. When Paul spoke of this in Romans, he used the term, either you're in Christ or you're where? In Adam. You can't be both places. You can't straddle the fence. 
You can't have one arm in, one arm out. It doesn't work that way. Either you're in Christ or you're not. And so to be in Adam is Paul, to use the terminology of Paul earlier on in the book, means to be in sin, to be a slave of wickedness, to be under divine judgment, to be destined to eternal judgment and death forever in hell. But the opposite of that, to be in Christ, is just the reverse. It means to be delivered from sin and from judgment, to be growing in holiness, to possess eternal life in heaven with God forever. I mean, that's a radical change. That's a change that passes us from the state of slavery to the state of being free in Christ. As Daniel was showing those slides earlier of those people whose lives have been changed, those were radical transformations. See, that's, that's what we have to believe happens when someone comes to Christ. So many times we grab somebody, we pray a little prayer with them, and then we're so quick to throw them in the tank and baptize them and call them a Christian, and nothing's changed in their life. They uttered some words. Maybe they were well-meaning. Maybe they weren't. We don't know. See, we have to see that, that radical transformation takes place. And you say, well, doesn't that happen over time? I don't know. Show me in the scriptures where it happens over time. Usually it's immediate. Usually that radical change, when Christ comes into the heart of someone, when Christ comes into the life of someone, there's a radical change. Now that doesn't mean they're, they're everything they're ever going to be in Christ because we're ever growing, right, in our sanctification. We're ever growing in our relationship with others and the body of Christ and with Christ. But there should be a difference. If there's no difference, there's probably no change. No Jesus, no change. No change, no Jesus. It's real simple. That's why it's good when you're sharing the gospel with somebody. They, we don't dumb down the gospel. We don't, we don't make it, you know, something that's, you know, appealing to them. The last time I checked, the Bible says that the cross is an offense. It's not something that people are going to run to and say, oh, yes, I just want to give my life to Jesus so I can suffer for him the rest of my life. That's the exception. That's not the rule. So unfortunately, especially here in America, the church has taken the gospel, which is really a hard message. I mean, when Jesus shared the gospel with people, a lot of times he had thousands of people following him. And on occasion, he would turn around and he would tell the crowd, you know what, if you want to follow me, great. But here's the conditions, right? Deny yourself, take up your own cross, an instrument of death, not some little gold thing they hung around their neck. And then you can follow me. Or if you want to follow me, you know what? Your love for your own family should seem as hatred in comparison to your love for me. Wow. It's amazing how we feel as Christians and as the church, we have to take a gospel that is, is very clear. I mean, Jesus wasn't talking in, in vague terms when, when he would tell people these things. I think that we, we forget on occasion, what it truly means to follow Christ. What does that truly mean? Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. 
If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. And directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.